evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast that showcases my writing work in the horror, paranormal, supernatural, and southern gothic genres. This is episode 58 of Haunted Muse, and the 14th episode to feature my novel, Looking Glass Theory. So, here we go. Looking Glass Theory, Chapter 14. Immediately, a title screen displayed, giving the subject number and date. Then, Vicky appeared. Hello, my name is Dr. Victoria Hewitt, and what you are about to see is both very disturbing and intriguing. It is also deeply personal, although I will attempt to compartmentalize. That certainly runs in the family, Nora thought to herself, but said nothing as the video continued. When I was a young girl, I often used to spend my after-school hours with my father in his lab. One day, as I sat on the floor coloring, I witnessed something very unusual. He was talking to a mirror. She gestured to her left, and Nora could see that Vicky was indicating the mirror now sitting on the table beside the computer station. Would you like to come and see your grandmother? He asked me, and I agreed, although I was hesitant. You see, my grandmother died many years before I was born, while my father was still a boy. Father took me on his knee, and we both looked into the mirror. There I could see a woman, quite lovely, although I remember she also seemed extremely tired. She was dressed in a long nightgown and had her hair cut to shoulder length in one of those late 50s-style bobs. Father introduced me to the woman as her granddaughter. I remember exchanging pleasantries, and then she smiled at me and told me I was very pretty, but that's about all. Moments afterward, the woman sat down in the chair and appeared to fall asleep, and the image of her went away. Being only five, I didn't fully comprehend then what had happened, but later that night at dinner, I brought up what I called the magic talking picture. My mother seemed concerned at this statement and began scolding my father, which confused me. They went outside and I could hear them arguing, after which my father returned to tell me what he had just shown me that afternoon was only a magic trick and that I shouldn't mention it again. Here, Vicky walked over to the table and picked up the mirror, holding it in front of her. I did not see this mirror again for over 30 years. During that time, my father passed away, although I have been led to believe that he committed suicide. I learned that that was not true after I rediscovered this mirror. Hazel clicked the mouse to pause the video. Nora, here. She reached in her purse and pulled out a small packet of Kleenex to hand to her. Saying nothing, Nora merely held the packet as her eyes began to water. Hazel hit play, and the video began again. After my father's death, I became more determined than ever to follow in his footsteps and to also become a psychiatrist. For many years, I studied the long-term effects of depression on the brain for obvious reasons. Although I still feel that that work is very important, and I plan to continue it, this will be the first in a new line of experiments, which are actually a continuation of my father's work. That is the personal portion of this record. Vicky paused to take a sip of water and continued. Here is the objective portion. Last year, I met a former colleague by chance who is now retired. His name is Dr. Bill Yates. We spoke very briefly at a faculty banquet, and he mentioned that he had worked with my father on some experiments. Since I remembered most of my father's colleagues from dinners at our house, but not really Dr. Yates, I looked him up. 
I found they had, in fact, worked together, but for some reason Yates's position was reduced from tenured to adjunct status after the parapsychology lab was largely defunded on campus. This led me to dig deeper, to go into the parapsychology department archives, where I uncovered many records, 153 to be exact, of their work together. Watching the videotape of one of them jogged my memory of that magic talking picture that I had seen in my father's office as a child. By pure coincidence, I was cleaning out my attic of some boxes one afternoon when I found this mirror again, among some of my father's personal effects that my mother had boxed away after he passed. When I set it up, it began to perform in the manner that I have described already, only I had to reintroduce myself to my grandmother, as I am much older now than when I first saw her in the mirror. Yet she informed me of something shocking. Grace, my paternal grandmother, told me that my father's spirit is now also inside the mirror as well, and that he did not commit suicide. He was murdered. She did not know who the murderer was, only that she had seen the shot, but had of course been unable to do anything, as her spirit remains locked inside the mirror. She also informed me that if I would wait until precisely 11.11 p.m., I would be able to witness it for myself, and also perhaps begin to figure out who was responsible. Therefore, since it is currently 11 p.m., I will now step behind the camera and allow the scene to unfold undisturbed for preservation as a part of this record. Nora leapt forward to hit pause and sank back into her chair. Although she had managed to avoid tears, her face was red and blotchy from the effort to contain them. We don't need to watch that part right now, she said quietly into the tissue. I agree, echoed Dr. Yates. I think we know most of everything that this video is going to tell us from Vicky's narration, and she's clearly survived long enough to make this detailed report afterward, so I don't think there's any benefit in watching Henry be... He couldn't say the word. Hazel, since you're more removed from the situation, could you glance through the remainder of the record and tell us if there is anything else we should know? Hazel quickly skimmed the brief. Nothing besides what's already been described, and then the other part, but it names no one as a suspect. That's a relief, said Nora, recomposing herself. Still, we have more questions than we began with. We still have no idea what happened to Vicky, and now I've just found out that our father didn't kill himself, but that he was murdered. Actually, I have a strong theory, said Yates, that we've just learned more than we realize if we put the pieces together. Your father was killed in his lab late at night while working on these experiments, mostly in secret. Your sister has now disappeared only a few weeks after restarting this same series of experiments. I had no hand in either of these incidents, and if you don't believe me, which is your every right, I will be happy to submit to any kind of truth-finding test you require. And neither your father nor Vicky had any professional enemies that I know of, which leaves me with only one question. What's that? Nora said. For that, Yates replied, I think you should ask your mother. Chapter 15. Just then, Nora's phone rang. It was Pierce. He sounded breathless. Nora, 
Thank God you answered. Please, don't hang up. Why would I hang up? Because everyone else has. Nora, my attorney won't speak to me. I believe your mother's gotten to him somehow. Actually, no attorney will. I need your help. Didn't you say that attorney of yours in Nashville is also licensed in North Carolina? Do you think you can get him to take my case? I have plenty of money, but I'm just... Here, Pierce's voice suddenly became a whisper. I'm really afraid, Nora. I have to bond out of here. Something's weird about this, and I'm scared. Really scared. I thought they'd just question me and let me go because everyone always suspects the husband and things like this, but I really think they're trying to railroad me. Whoa, Pierce, slow down. Yes, I can call Cliff for you. I can't guarantee he'll come right away, though. Have you been charged with anything? How much is your bond? Pierce's answer was louder, but hollow, like a man trying to convince himself of something. I've been charged with murder. The bond is one million dollars. Christ! I know, said Pierce, getting softer again. Listen, if you're willing to help me get out of here, we can figure out how to get the money to your attorney. I always keep at least half a million dollars in cash in the safe in my office. I can give you the combination. That is, if you're willing to sign my bond and bring the other half of the money for my bail, I promise I'll pay you back as soon as I'm out of here. Nora sat quietly thinking. Although she was fairly certain that Pierce had nothing to do with her sister's disappearance, she still had some reservations about helping him. Nora, are you there? Will you do it? Yes, she finally replied. Yes, Pierce, I'll, I'll do it. Give me an hour or so to get down there and to call Cliff to see what we'll need to do afterward. Pierce took a deep breath. Thank you, Nora. You've always been much better to me than I deserved. You got that right, thought Nora. But instead, she merely replied, I'm only doing this because I'm certain you had nothing to do with whatever has happened to Vicky. However, I think I'm going to need all the help I can get to find her. Will you help us? Of course I will. Our divorce is amicable. We've just grown apart. I mean, if we ever were together, together, you know? With Vicky, it's always so hard. She was so unreachable most of the time. But I'm just as upset as you are to think that anything has actually happened to her. I doubt that, said Nora. Regardless, count on me being there tonight. I can't believe you're going to help him. You should just let him sit in there for a while, said Hazel, as Nora ended the call with Pierce and scrolled through her contacts for Cliff's number. Nora listened and waited for Cliff to answer the phone and hit mute. I couldn't care less about what happens to Pierce. What I'm worried about is why they're trying to stick him with a murder charge so quickly. If he's not guilty, that's a big fat lawsuit waiting to happen. My worry is who would risk whatever is happening to Vicky while they're putting Pierce through this whole charade. When Cliff picked up, he listened to Nora to tell the situation, and he agreed to accept the case after Nora told him that fees were no object. He won't be able to leave the state on a bond like that, most likely, Cliff cautioned, but I can't take more than a day or two away from my other clients. Is there somewhere close to the state line we could meet? My sister Callista is in Asheville. We could meet there. It's a good idea. Actually, it might be better if Pierce stayed there and out of town for a while. 
if this case has some ulterior motive like you're suggesting, it might not <clears throat> be safe for him in Durham, let alone the media circus that's inevitably coming. I mean, the disappearance of a wealthy Duke professor whose husband was charged with her murder would be a pretty juicy tale, replied Cliff. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. I'll call Callista as soon as I get off the phone with you. Anything else? Just one more thing. I hate to have to bring it up with everything else going on, but Julie has been driving me crazy to contact you. Something about Jasper's studio, but she's being intentionally vague. Could be just about royalties or equipment, but I don't know why she's acting so cagey. Regardless, she seems to want you over there urgently, but I've been trying to hold her off until you had more time to get settled in. Why can't she call me herself? Because she's Julia, answered Cliff. Nora could almost see him rolling his eyes. Why else? Gotcha, nodded Nora. Well, I might as well come on over after I drop Pierce off in Asheville anyway. It's only a few hours more. Then we can ride back to Asheville together, save you part of the trip. Sounds good to me. They exchanged goodbyes and Cliff hung up. No rest for the weary, it appears, said Nora to Hazel. Now I have to drop Pierce off in Asheville on my way to Nashville because Jasper's mother wants me for something. Speaking of mothers, interjected Yates, did I happen to overhear Pierce say that your mother may be the reason why he hasn't been able to find representation on his own? Nora nodded. Well, as I was just about to say before this new wrinkle in the whole situation, and please forgive me for potentially piling onto what I am certain is already a stressful situation, I had always thought that it was her disdain for Henry's experiments that may have pushed him over the edge. But now that we've seen this new video that Vicky has made, I'm not so certain, again, please forgive me for the insinuation, but that there might not even be more to it than that. I'm not completely following you, Dr. Yates, said Nora, and I don't fault you for insinuating anything at this point, so please be frank. I'm saying that Blair, as I'm sure you know, is a woman desperately concerned with achievement recognition and prestige. If she saw that there was potential for your father's experiments to cause the family shame or even embarrassment and or possibly damage either his career or hers also by association, then I'm not sure what she would have been willing to do to stop that from happening. Nora said nothing as Yates watched her anxiously. She knew all too well Blair's character flaws just as Yates described them. The old professor wasn't wrong. Still, the thought that her mother was capable of what he suggested was simply too much to take in at once. Have I offended you? If so, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's just... Nora trailed off, trying to refocus her thoughts on the more urgent matter at hand. I have so many things churning through my mind right now. I have to focus on doing what I can to help the living. Since I'm of the belief that my oldest sister is still among us, I'm afraid we'll have to table this discussion about my mother and father until another time. I understand completely, said Yates. Nothing we can do at this point will bring Henry back. Actually, in the physical sense, that's true, said Hazel thoughtfully. But in the spiritual sense... As we've already seen here, 
it might be possible. Bill, have you ever tried to communicate directly with Henry? Since his death, I mean. No, for a couple of reasons, said Yates. First, because I didn't know that there was even the remotest possibility he might have become trapped in his mother's mirror when he passed. And second, Yates paused, choosing his words carefully. Sometimes, just because a scientist can do something, doesn't mean that he should do it. Do you follow me? All the way, said Hazel, glancing at Nora, who echoed her response. Yeah, all the way. By midnight, Nora, Hazel, and Pierce were pulling up in front of Callista's dance studio in Asheville. The bonding process had been relatively hassle-free, all things considered. The police seemed surprised that Pierce had been able to come up with such a large sum on a short notice, but otherwise hadn't shown any special interest in the case. Callista was up and waiting anxiously for her three guests, having set up airbeds on the broad expanse of dance floor downstairs. Sheridan also had the presence of mind to order Chinese takeaway for everyone, to which they all sat down at the table in the conference room immediately upon arrival. After everyone had finished, Hazel asked the way to the bathroom. Upon her return, she glanced back and forth between Nora and Callista with a strange sort of smile. So, I know that the large mirror on the far end of the floor is one of the mirrors. A sleepy-looking Callista brightened. Oh, yes, that's the one Nora sent me last week. Everyone who comes in notices. It's quite a conversation piece. Hazel now looked directly at Nora, though her question was directed at Callista. Yes, it is. I was wondering whether you'd noticed anything unusual about it. Unusual how? asked Callista, her blue eyes blank and flat. Well, Callista keeps telling me that I'm crazy, <clears throat> but I keep telling her it makes me feel funny, said Sheridan. Like someone's watching me or something. So much that I have to try to avoid being in the room with it late at night by myself. He laughed nervously. Guess you guys are here with me tonight, right? Wine? We need to finish off this bottle. He motioned toward their glasses, and both Nora and Pierce leaned forward eagerly. Sheridan squinted at the barely half-glass left before setting the bottle down on the table. Demand remains high. Not a surprise after the day you two have had. On second thought, let me run upstairs and get another. He rose, but Callista stopped him, insisting that she go instead, since they were her guests. Once she'd gone upstairs, Sheridan motioned for the other three to come closer. Callie claims there's nothing unusual about the mirror, but that girl's got to be lying. I've heard noises downstairs and gone down late at night several times now, and she's just standing there, staring at it. Me? I can't get away from the thing fast enough, but her? Sheridan flapped his hands like wings. Like a moth to a flame. It's crazy. Hazel squinted at him. Does she speak to it also? Sheridan drained the remnants of his glass and rolled the stem thoughtfully between his thumb and forefinger. No, not really. It's more like she's listening to it, but then says nothing, as if she's sleepwalking. Why? Hazel shot Nora a knowing look before proceeding. She probably is. Sheridan, how late do you usually stay up? Sheridan looked at his watch. Lord, not until this late even these days. We're doing a summer dance camp that runs ten to six. I need my beauty sleep to be able to keep up with all those kids. 
We'll try it tomorrow night, then, said Hazel, as Callista returned with a new bottle of wine. Try what? asked Callista, as she used the corkscrew to pop up another bottle of Chardonnay. Dancing, replied Hazel, hastily, before anyone else had a chance to react. I was just asking Sheridan if he could show me some ballroom moves. Hazel caught Sheridan's eye. <clears throat> he winked and played along. Oh, yes, honey. And I said it was too late tonight, but if she'd stay here while Nora goes on to Nashville tomorrow to meet up with the ex-monster-in-law, we could give it a whirl after the girls left tomorrow. That sounds like fun, Calista yawned and exaggerated a stretch, but fun that will have to wait until tomorrow for me. Are you three okay if I leave you with Cher and go on to bed? Sheridan exchanged a look with Nora this time. Both mentally noted how unusual it was that Callista, renowned for her ability to operate on little sleep, was throwing in the towel so early, while a house full of guests with an exciting story still half-told waited downstairs. Even Pierce picked up on the skepticism going around the room and said, It's okay with me, doll. Callista's sleepy eyes went suddenly cold as she looked at her soon-to-be ex-brother-in-law. I'm so glad you're okay with it. Feeling the verbal sting, Pierce stared down at his empty plate. Go ahead, sugar. Really, I know this summer camp has worn you out lately. I'll make sure everything is cleaned up and the kids are tucked in, said Sheridan. At this, Callista's smile changed from sarcastic to sincere. She walked over, ruffled Sheridan's hair, and returned upstairs. Once she was out of earshot, Sheridan beckoned for the others to lean forward again. That's the other thing. Little Miss Dynamite is all tired, all the time now. At first, I thought it was just stress, what with the move and opening the new dance studio. But then I began to notice that when she was working was the only time she didn't act like she could have flopped down and gone straight to sleep. It's not like her, I know, seconded Nora. I'm liking the sound of this less and less, said Hazel, reaching forward to refill her glass. Nora, if you're okay with what I said before, I'd like you to go on and handle whatever is happening with Julia alone. I'll stay here with the guys. If my suspicion is correct, Callista may be in just as much danger as Vicky right now. Possibly more. Well, I'm glad you're willing to take care of it, said Nora, slumping back in her chair. I don't think I can take one more mystery. Life is an eternal mystery, quipped Hazel. We have to keep solving it every day. This is the end of Chapter 15 of Looking Glass Theory, here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until next time, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you.